Welcome everyone to another episode of the Campus Waterfowl Podcast. I'm your host Derek Christians and this weekend to continue our collegiate waterfowl tour I am in Montana this weekend hunting with some students from Montana State University. I'm having a great time this weekend. Very impromptu uh, type of trip where yeah very last minute but uh, no we're, we've been having a great time here but uh, yeah finally getting a chance to sit down and do a podcast and uh, in this podcast, we're going to be talking about a lot about field hunting. I'm going to touch on a lot of strategy when it comes to decoys, calling, uh, what these guys are doing um, in the area to, to try to make the most of their hunts and everything. Um, and hopefully you guys can take this and then kind of try to take it and use it in your areas as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, but before we get into the podcast, we've got to thank Ken Cartridge for sponsoring this year's tour. Uh, they've been helping us this year. Um, yeah supplying the ammo for these trips, so greatly appreciate that. Other than that, we can jump right into the podcast. Uh, if you guys are listening to the podcast, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. Uh, we are recording this live, so if you guys want to take a look at us just hanging out here on, on this nice sectional here, on this very well-built coffee table, be sure to yeah, tune into the YouTube channel. Uh, but yeah, if you can't, if you're watching the YouTube video and can't finish it, uh, be sure to take it on the road. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all those places as well. So, um, all right, let's get into it. Let's do some introductions to start. So, Jake, you want to introduce yourself, major, um, and then kind of where you're from as well. Great. My name is Jake Davitt. Um, I'm a senior here at Montana State University. I'm studying industrial and management systems engineering. Um, I'd like to take that into the um, outdoor world in some way, shape, or form, whether that's conservation through project management or a plethora of other options as well. Um, and then I originally grew up in a small town in northeast Ohio called Chagrin Falls. Um, that's about it. Yeah. I'm Jared Rosgard. I'm from a small town in uh, north central Montana called Haver, Montana. I'm a fish and wildlife management major, and I plan to either become a game warden or become an upland game bird biologist, and yeah. I'm Luke Jones. I'm from central Washington, and I started college, but decided farming was better for me. Blue so. collar you. Is what you're <laughs> I'm 19. <laughs> but yeah, farming farming's what's up. Uh, my name is Tyson Beaumont. I'm also from Central Washington, and I'm a sustainable crops or sustainable foods and bioenergy systems major with a crop production specific. It's a mouthful. Um, I'll probably use that to farm or do something in the ag world. And I'm also a goose hunting guide and outfitter. Where are you guys both from? Specifically Quincy, Washington. And he said central Washington? Yeah. Throw a dart at the middle of Washington, right, right there. The yep, nice. right in the middle. And then what year were all you guys again in, in college? I'm a senior. Senior? I'm a freshman. I'm not in college. <laughs> He's a farmer. <laughs> I'm technically a senior as well. Senior. Okay. Sweet. So we got, it's cool that we got like seniors and, and the freshmen. Yeah. So we can, because yeah, both, both of those uh, levels, I guess, when you come into a new area, uh, to go to college and yeah, to hunt the area and stuff. It comes with experience. And so I'm sure Jared throughout the weekend has been learning a lot from these guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when it comes well, to hunting. A lot of learning. It's probably the most I've learned since I moved to Bozeman, <laughs> even with class. Awesome. Um, well, I guess to kind of get started, I always like asking people how they got into waterfowl hunting because it, it seems like 
Some, some are super young when they get into it. Some are maybe even sometimes in college for the first time. So how, how have you guys gotten into What got you guys into waterfowl hunting? Um, for me personally, I started when I was real young. My dad um, took me on my first, oh, I'd say duck hunt when I was, I can't remember how old I was, to be honest with you, ever, ever since I can remember. Um, we had a property in Ohio there, and we still, ha we still have the property in Ohio there. And um, There's a little creek that runs through, and so we go back and hunt some woodies that come out of the timber, and a couple of mallards coming through. Um, we had a buddy that had like, a gator track, so we'd go hunt some like reservoirs and stuff like that. Um, and then I shot my first goose when I was about eight or nine, and set up in a little box blind right on the edge of the water. Um, so I've been hunting for as long as I can remember, and uh, I love it. But then I would say that um, I really got serious about it when I came to college out here in Montana. Um, at least the transition between like Ohio and Montana, mm -hmm. there is a world of a difference in terms of the quality of the bird hunting. Um, so having that. Um, better quality bird hunting and stuff like that. It's really helped me, um, I guess, spread my wings and go full stride and uh, full-blown waterfowler. So. Yeah, so uh, growing up in northern Montana, I was always a big game hunter, hunting deer and antelope and stuff. And my dad, he, was a, he worked for FWP forever, and he was a huge waterfowl hunter, but I never really got into it until my... Uh, until I was in high school and I finally brought those old decoys off the shelves and went out with a few of my buddies and got into it a little bit, you know. I, um, I'm still learning a lot and I'm glad to be out hunting with these guys and learning more about the area. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I started. Yeah, my family was never into hunting. They hated it pretty much. My dad shot his fingers off when he was... <laughs> I don't know, my age, probably 18, something like that. So they're just not the greatest round of guns. And then Tyson and I went to the same school. Started hunting ever since, been every winter. Was it the waterfowl hunting that you got introduced to first? Oh, yeah. Really? I've never I've never really done big game hunting. Mm. Shot a couple coyotes here and there. <laughs> Mostly just waterfowl. Nice. So... This is way back. Um, I started hunting with my older brother, mainly, who guided a couple seasons, mainly to pay off a trailer and decoys. Um, I was like eight or nine, and hunted with him a couple years, and then when he started guiding, obviously didn't have time for his little brother. So, we were probably 14 or 15. We got into it pretty heavy, and one of our buddy's grandparents would drive us to this slough Probably three or four days a week, skipping school a good amount of time. And uh, he'd drop us off at like four in the morning and we'd hunt till nine or ten and then pull out and he'd pick us up and take us home. And I think the first season we all hunted together, we maybe killed two hen mallards total. Like, it was tough. It was tough. It was seriously tough. And then uh, when I was 16 or 15, I bought my brother's trailer from him. He moved out of town, so he was like, gave it to me for a good deal, and it ended up just igniting that fire and that passion. And ever since, I haven't been able to stop. It's like three, four days a week, and it's been like that for since I was 15. <laughs> Pretty neat. Yeah, and like we did a lot of, we did a little bit of bird hunting in Ohio. We did like occasional upland, but I mean, we have the whitetails in Ohio. That's what Ohio's really known for. So I grew up hunting, I mean, everything under the sun. I mean, if it's brown, it's down. You know, if it hops, it drops. So 
I mean, we were hunting whitetails. Like, that's what I started with. I shot my first whitetail with my grandfather and stuff like that. Yeah. And then, like, we go hunt ducks every once in a blue moon, you know? My dad doesn't like the cold getting up early like that. We got, like, these nice box blinds for deer and stuff like that. It's cheating. Heaters and teeters. Oh, dude. You name it, man. So, but, and then Montana kind of spread the whole full-blown waterfowling song. Yeah, some, there's something about waterfowling that it's just once once you're in it, it's hard to hard it's hard to quit. <laughs> it's a drug, man. Some, it's a drug. It's sometimes a drug. we wish we could quit. Yeah, yeah. we all know that for a fact, but it, my, uh, it won't happen. My calculus classes would uh, certainly attest to that. I yeah. had to, <laughs> to take every calc class twice and, <laughs> and calc three three times, and I finally got through them all, and I'm done with math mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was a long journey, but I mean, I think waterfowl hunting, def- waterfowl hunting definitely played a major role in, major role in that, major role in that. Did it ever play a role into like how you would schedule your classes at all? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have Tuesday and Thursday off for a reason, you know. So I, I think I think most of us here. Well, I, I don't know. Jared, yeah, did, you, did Jared, you think but, about that when coming to college? Yeah, um, I, I definitely. I tried my best to get the best schedule I could, but. It just would never work out. I tried every schedule in the book there was, you know, and but um, luckily I am off early on Thursdays and Fridays, so I get out as much as I can. There you go. Even yeah. hunts are sometimes yeah. pretty exactly. good. Exactly. Even just going out in the evening, and trying your best, you know, and just still putting stuff down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what about for like just terrain? Like, are you guys mostly are you guys hunting fields? I would majority of the time, or is there water hunts at all that you guys are doing? I'm not a fan of water hunting. No, no. <laughs> avoiding the water at all costs. One one hunt put me over the edge with water hunting. <laughs> Stuck in clay up to our waists. And it was we terrible. Didn't come home. <laughs> yeah. One bird to show for it all, too. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fun. Yeah. I would say the same. I'm probably 95% field hunting. I love to water. Like, there's nothing better than mallards over water, except for maybe mallards in a cornfield, but... I'm just a field hunter, trying to. Yeah. I'm the uh, I'm the opposite, you know. I mean, there's a lot of fields in Ohio like that, but I mean, anytime we go duck hunting, it was always over water, you know. Even geese, you know, we'd sometimes hunt hunt it as a loaf, you know. And um, I'd say like water was trying to treat, like I brought my waders out here, and that's all I had. I didn't have any field systems, nothing, no mm-hmm. sicky gear, anything like that. I had mossy oak waders and. I'd go hit a river and try and shoot a couple teal or a couple mallards, whatever came in. And then, but once I hunted a field for the first time, I was <laughs> like, this is nice, man. This is nice. There's something about it. There's nothing different. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Yeah, I, I pretty much started on the water. So that's kind of like what I've usually resulted to um, whenever I wanted to go out. But I, I've hunted fields a few times, but I feel like hunting over water is probably my favorite. I like that a lot. Yeah, you know, it's a better field hunts. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Geese over water too, man. I mean, it's pretty fun, man. No yeah. way, dude. Yeah. Hunting a loaf shot. like that when you shoot a goose, it's going down like a Boeing seven thirty seven. Just, <laughs> just skids against the water. You won't change my mind, Jake. Ah, <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all right. I'm not here to change any minds. <laughs> now I think it's funny when yeah, coming like traveling to different schools and stuff. The, the guys down south. They, they love just seeing the field hunting. Yeah. They, they just want to experience that because that's all they do. Like down there, that's all they do is just hunt water. Mm-hmm. And so like, they, try, they 
just want to experience like not putting on waiters and just walking out well, sitting in the layout behind or yeah, something yeah. you should do something like that just, like break, a, just break like trade hunts yeah trade hunts that'd be well, I, encourage, I encourage students all the time like reach out to one another like I'm, like if you're willing to travel like you can interact uh, network with students and more than likely if you if you want to come north come north and hunt and hunt in the early season and then go have those guys come south and you guys take them on a hunt in the south yeah. So. yeah. When I was at third term there, I met a good old boy from Georgia named Hayden. Uh, good kid, great mm -hmm. kid. And he's coming up actually in December to hunt. He's the same thing. He's like, I'm, like I want to hunt some fields. Yeah. I was like, yeah, like, absolutely. Come on up. And he's like, come on down for spring break. We'll shoot some hogs or something on the ranch. And I was like, dude, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. You know, so mm -hmm. ne the networking part of like, I think it's possible. I think yeah. we could, there's definitely enough attraction from the south to come up to hunt fields like this for sure. So. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I hope, I don't know what, where everyone's from who's listening to the podcast, but hopefully, uh, you guys can learn a thing or two that we're going to, we're going to be talking about a lot about field hunting in this, I feel like, uh, in this podcast. So if you were to describe, I guess, I feel like a lot of people understand like, yeah, what field hunting is, but like, how do you approach field hunting, I guess, for the first time, um, when it comes the, even, even in like the prep work going into a field hunt. What, what are you guys doing? Hmm. You want to start us out, Jerry? <laughs> Jerry? <laughs> well, um... But you can talk, like, maybe just touch on, like, the scouting. Just how much time are you guys scouting? Just to give people a perspective, because, like, I, I feel like a lot of people talk about or hear about just how important scouting is, but, like, what are the numbers that you are you guys putting in uh, in a week to find a field? I mean, it's probably a three-to-one ratio. Um, for me personally, it depends if I'm home or here, because, he, I mean, when I'm home, I'm making money doing it, so I can justify driving all over the place. But, like, I usually put about 30,000 miles on my truck in a hunting season, 30 to 40, typically. That's, like, normal from November 1st to the end of January, <clears throat> I'd say. It's a lot of driving. That's, like... Yeah. It's a lot of driving. Yeah. I spend more time in my truck than anywhere else. I just think, yeah, a lot of people think they're, like, sometimes people think they're doing a lot of driving, but then, like, you put it in comparison to some, maybe some other hunters, it's like, I better step up my number sometimes. Like, yeah, I, I want some people true. to hear, hear that, like, how much time people are putting behind the wheel. Yeah, I mean, just, like, I know people that chase the migration from Canada all the way down south, and, man, like, those guys will put a couple hundred thousand miles on a truck in two years, three years. It's insane. But it's a lot of driving, that's for sure. You definitely have to like the chase as much as you as much as you like the hunt. Yeah. You guys have anything to, to add to the, the scouting? Or what about any like tips you might have for people that especially like in college, like gas gas money. That's definitely the first thing that comes yeah. to mind. Yeah. Um, what about just like what did you guys do during college to kinda of help the scouting efforts to improve efficiencies and effectiveness, I guess, when you're scouting? I'd say the biggest thing is take your hunting group, each pick an area, and find the roost. That's, I mean, you're, like, you can drive around aimlessly, which we all do plenty if we can't see the roost or can't get to the roost, but you just have to find the roost and wait for birds to come off the roost. That's, and that's the best tip and the only tip there really is, I think. Chase them from the roost. And, like, th that will save on gas money, right? Because, like, you could technically, like, split the gas while four of you in the truck, but... It'd be, it'd be better to cover an entire area between four trucks 
as the one truck covering the whole area. Mm -hmm. You know, just time-wise, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think that's the most efficient way to do it. Mm -hmm. Just, well, just like here, I mean, here in Bozeman, if you think about it, we hunt a huge area. We hunt, I mean, a normal scout day, isn't. it's not uncommon to drive two hours in any direction except for south of Bozeman. It's a normal thing. I'd say hour and a half. Mm, definitely. Yeah, just last night we drove probably almost two hours what is it, east east of here, scouting, looking for birds, looking for what we could find. And we found we 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 went and followed a few up in the sky and found a few um, birds on the water and stuff like that. But yeah, you're you're gonna invest your time in driving and really trying to find where these birds are where the roost is and where they're gonna be traveling to get to each spot. If we got some newer hunters here, uh, you guys want, would you mind describing what a roost is? Um, so a roost is almost always a body of water. I probably wouldn't say always though. You can never say always. I would say a majority. Yeah, like, I'd say a large a, majority. So a roost is a, mainly a body of water that birds sleep on essentially. Like it's, <clears throat> it's typically a big body of water or a super secluded body of water that they feel safe on like refuges big rivers, big reservoirs, anything like that. Just where the birds sleep at night. And they always, they, they tend to use the same roost until they either get pushed off that roost or it freezes over. So once, like the biggest thing is you find the roost in your area, or there's multiple, but find a couple good roosts. And once you find them, they're there for the, the whole year. Like here in Montana, we hunt the same couple roosts mm -hmm. until they freeze and then everything bumps to rivers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then off those roosts, right, you follow the birds to the fields that you think that, um, like they're feeding. Well, you follow the bird to the field, and you watch them go in the field, right? And then um, you're like, okay, let's see how many more come, and there you go. There's your eggs. You put an estimate in, and then you call your buddies and be like, hey, we're going to... Over-exaggerate it by 30%. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jake. <laughs> hey, all right, I got my dad's jeans in here, right? It's every time, man, it's an over-exaggeration by like... And if it's like 300 birds... If it's actually 300 birds, I'll say it's 360 every day. <laughs> you knew that was going to get brought up. Oh, of course. It has to. It has to. You probably didn't think by me, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, just poking fun at yeah, Jake from this weekend. Hey, I just get um, excited, man. That's all it is. No, it's hard, it's hard to gauge numbers in the, in yeah. the field. But, um, but no, yeah, you, you, you find the field where the birds are landing, and then, yeah, try to make a decision if you need to get permission. Yeah. Yeah. So. Can I add to that a little bit? Mm -hmm. If there's new people, like, so, I mean, we wish it was as simple as finding a roost, chasing birds to fields, and hunting that field. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of variables that come into that. Like, a lot of times, if it's really cold, like it was this morning, and there's snow on the ground, birds are gonna go hit something green, and they'll sit there, and I don't know what they're doing. Honestly, they just kind of sit there. They might feed a little bit, but and then they'll go to feed after that, so it pushes the feed back. But then, like. If you set up in that field that they're not truly feeding in, then the next day the snow melts, then you're never going to see those birds. They're going to go straight to that feed. Little things like that. And then, like, the difference between a roost and a loaf is a big difference. I want to throw that out there as well. A roost is what I explained. Um, and sometimes birds will go out to feed in the morning and they go back to their roost to loaf on it as well. But a lot of times they'll go somewhere else. And a loaf can be a field a lot of times, but they kind of just go to sleep the day. They'll feed in the morning and then fly somewhere for the day and sleep and then go back to feed or go back straight back to the roost. But there's a big difference there.
Now, now usually loaves are like when it's pretty warm out, right? Is that from my understanding, or can it be um, anytime? And before you anytime, I guess before you get into detail about loaves, what's a define a loaf? Um, a loaf is very similar to a roost, but the difference is birds don't like they don't go to it at night, and they don't feel near as safe on a loaf. So you kind of want to figure out, especially if you're going to hunt a body of water, you want to know for the most part if it's a roost or if it's a loaf because if you shoot the roost those birds migrate like they leave as soon as they get shot off their roost it's like coming into someone's house they're going to run away it's just like that but if you shoot a loaf they're going to go feed and then go back to the roost and then pick it for a loaf mm -hmm. so you don't want to shoot the roost i mean unless it's the last day of the season <laughs> i've never shot a roost <laughs> <laughs> So now, yeah, kind of identify where where you might have the greatest chance, I guess, of getting the birds. Whether it whether if it's on the feed or even now comes traffic hunting. You guys want to touch on traffic hunting? What what is that? Well, I would. <clears throat> my understanding of traffic hunting is when you when you know where the roost is and you know where they're headed towards or the field that they've been going to throughout the week. Um, Say you can't get permission on that field because the landowner says no. To my understanding, the traffic is going to be you're going to find a field that you can get permission on in between that flight path. Not always. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of variability to this, but um, you you find a field in between them and try and pull them down to you first before they get to the field that they want to get to. So you almost like you try to shortstop them. Yep. If that makes any sense. Now, I mean, weather plays a, I mean a huge role in all of that, and I think this weekend yeah. is a great. Great to that. Definitely. Um, but there, there's so much variability, but I would say that's what a, what a traffic hunt would be. And sometimes you're pulling them down from 150 feet in the air. Sometimes they're flying low. I mean, weather depending, but I mean, well, if anybody has anything if else to add. trafficking birds at 50 yards in the air every day, man, that'd be easy. <laughs> <laughs> that 150 feet, yeah, I guess that's I'm an engineering major, I think, just simple math. But yeah, 50 yards is pretty low, but I mean, Either way, sometimes they're little specks in the sky, you know. And, yeah. I mean, I've seen birds hit an elevator shaft and just drop. So let's see. Hmm. 150 yards? 100, 100 <laughs> yards in the air, maybe? Just dropping? I don't know. I mean, sometimes I've seen snows. Oh, man, anywhere from... Dude, snows are the worst. 400 yards in the air. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You never know. Trap, yeah. I mean, I think that sums it up. Traffic hunting is... I love to traffic hunt, especially in Montana, because the birds are like very, 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 very trafficable because not many people do it. Um, traffic hunting is just big spreads, and you try and create your own feed and pull them in. But I think it's super fun because it's a lot of calling, a lot of flagging. Like You have to fully convince the birds that that's where they want to be, not you're just sitting on the X and hunting, which is fantastic, obviously. But Yeah, what about success rate where traffic hunting versus just you're on the feed? I would say everything about a traffic hunt has to be damn near, sorry, everything has to be pretty perfect. Um, everything has to be pretty perfect when it comes to traffic hunting. You know, hide has to be on point. Um, the spread has to be, I mean, pretty large like he was saying, right? you got to convince those birds that they're going to come in. If they see anything wrong, they already don't want to be there as it is. So if they see anything wrong, they're going to they're gonna head out pretty quick or they're going to go to where they want to go. And having weather that pushes them down, forces yeah. them to want to be down on I, the ground. I think that's probably the biggest thing with traffic hunting is you want, like, if you're going to try and traffic on a, a 
blue sky, warm, no wind day, you're, Good luck. it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Unless you're in a completely concealed pit in the middle of the field. But that's the biggest thing for traffic hunting, I think, is your hide has to be good, but if you can get off the edge, it's better. Like, it's hard to pull traffic birds to an edge. Yeah. But, I mean, out here, we, we do pretty well with traffic. I don't know, I'd say probably half the hunts are successful trafficking. Do you guys, is there a uh, time of season when you guys are doing more traffic versus on-the-feed hunts? I would say early season just because we don't have near as many feeds. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this year's been the year for traffic. I think Marty ran traffic out here like five or six times. Well, it's been so warm all year. I mean, we just yeah. got our first cold snap today, basically. We still haven't even gotten the real Yeah, cold right. Cold. Yeah. And the, we still haven't seen the numbers. We still haven't seen the numbers that we normally see. Mm -hmm. So, but it is still early to come, like, maybe December, January. Starts to really pick up, starts to get really get cold. All those birds from Canada start to push in. It's pretty nice. Well, we took a quick intermission and we got a special guest here with us. Uh, <laughs> Tyson, you, you mind giving us an introduction of who we got here? Uh, this is Rip. He's almost eight months old. He's hopefully going to be a superstar, but with <laughs> me training, it might take a while. <laughs> Lovable dog. He's a great dog. So, 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 Jared, to start us off, what do you think that you've learned so far over this weekend in terms of setting up? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, this weekend was one of my first few uh, field hunts, and I learned a lot. Um, definitely with uh, what, how you want to set up your feed, and then how the wind factors in on how you want to set, like, which direction you want to set up your decoys in, and then also how you want to set up your blind and where it's at and uh, what you can expect from where the birds are coming from and where they want to go to and it, w it was it was just a lot to learn and um, saw a lot of birds in the sky but just like the, a bunch of the weather factors um, we can just really really tell what uh, the birds wanted and just being able to learn all that kind of stuff uh, really motivates me to get out there a lot more and try to find as many birds as possible. Now, I think that's the next thing we're going to be talking about is kind of what, how you approach a field. Especially, and, and yeah, you got how do how you approach a field when it comes to yeah, setting up your hide, setting up your decoys, but then also things that are out of your control are the wind. And so things that you got to kind of plan for. Like you, we got the weather apps and things like that. But when it comes down to it, it's how, how, what are the birds going to do or what do you think the birds are going to do. Um, so let's, let's we talk about traffic trafficking. We talked about, yeah difference between traffic spreads and like kind of uh, on the on the axe of feeds um, so let's say you're approaching a feed you're on the feed what are things what are things uh, you're thinking about when where to set up in that field um, going into the hunt I think of the hide Hide's the first thing yeah if you can't hide then there's no point really because the decoys can go in the field mm -hmm. wherever the field's at hide has to be there yeah I agree I think number one is the hide you take a I we take a hide over a backwards wind all day long no matter yeah. what. like birds will land over your blinds but birds won't land when they see your blinds obviously yeah like if it's, if it's perfectly flat all around the edge of that field um, 
there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to really hide, you know. So I think kind of what they're getting at there is look for the edges of the circles, look for the edges of um, the the tilled land, the farmed land, whatever. And if there's like a fence line or something or any sort of edge in terms of where a combine may, might not have gone through, and there's just shrubs, grass, tall grasses, um, stuff like that. Things that you can literally hide a seven foot long, three foot wide, two foot tall blind, you know, from seven of them, eight of them, eight, yeah. Ten, something, yeah. Yeah. sometimes even 15 of them, you know, like depending on how many guys you even got. Um, that's like that's easily the most important. Mm -hmm. um, what about options for height? I was that's what I was just going to go into. A lot of people hide the middle of fields, and a lot of people get away with it, but where we're, we hunt, in Washington, we hunt super pressured birds, and I'd say, like, for geese, we'd set up in the middle of a field maybe once a year, maybe twice a year if we're lucky. It's, it's a rare thing. We usually hunt edges, so we talk about edges a lot as a hide, but... Even if you, like, say the night before you see the birds, they land in the middle of the field, you'll still... Go to the oh yeah, yeah. Unless, the only time like the one situation is corn stubble that was laying down when they combined it like it was blown over or whatever or something that was laying down so it's cut super high but even then it's just conditions have to be right cloudy overcast with a good wind and then mm -hmm. we'll pull it off but and you can get away with a couple birds coming over like if your hide's not great you can get away with a couple birds but when you have 40 50 100 a thousand birds coming in, you double that in terms of the number of eyes that are looking at you. Yeah. That's, I mean, all it takes is one bird to flare and all the other birds will likely follow. Mm -hmm. um, at least that's what we've experienced out here. So, When the blinds, keeping your faces down is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Just moving in general, yeah. too. It's like a, a lot of people don't understand colors in the natural world and, like, I guess how it animals and birds see color like a lot of people will show up with a black hat i mean i was wearing a black hood today but people will show up with a black hat and stick it this far out of the blind and they're like oh i'm i'm down i'm level with the blind whatever but when a bird flies over that it looks like a black hole and people say nothing in nature like in the plant world is true black which is true if you think about it so having something black in the middle of a field or even on an edge just doesn't make sense yeah. but little things like that like keep your head down i mean when I try and get everyone down before the hunt, like you guys saw today, I, yeah. I have everyone get down like birds are coming in just to make sure and try and pull the flaps over your heads, like designate one or two people in charge to let to let you know where the birds are at and to call when needed and flag and whatnot. But other than that, just stay down. And I know I know it's exciting too because I remember, I remember I remember doing it too. Yeah, exactly. Like everybody's trying to look for the birds. Everybody's trying to see where the birds are at. You don't have to see where the birds are at. Somebody is and the less movement, the less moving around, the less people on the birds, the better. I mean, you got one caller, let that caller do his job. Yeah. And everybody else kind of stay down. Yeah. yeah. And that, go ahead. Uh, yeah, definitely. When we were out on that field this weekend and you were doing a great job of telling us all of where the bird's at while calling, too. And uh, just, and it, and, you know, I was so excited because I was, I was sitting there looking out of my little mesh vent and <laughs> trying to see where they are. And, but, you know, I was just like, all right, well, I just got to wait because I was sitting right next to you. And, yeah, it was like, because I, 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 you can hear them, but then once when you're looking out and you're actually seeing them, you know, it's really cool to just be able to actually, because you can see them without seeing them at the same time, you know, because right. you got your eyes yeah. in the sky. Yeah. 
And once you once you hunt fields more and once you hunt geese more, you'll figure out like the noises they make when they're doing what. So like mm -hmm. a lot of times I'll brush blinds in so no one can see out, including myself. I have like a little window to see out and I can see this way straight back and a little bit to my sides, but mm -hmm. they like, depending on the birds, they just make different noises when they're landing. And obviously when they flare, they get very upset. Like you hear the wings when they flare. We mm -hmm. heard that when on our hunt on yeah. Saturday. Um, just all that stuff is important. There's so much to it. Yeah. It really is. And like, what I've learned, at least from the field hunting aspect of things, is if the birds are going away and they're looking like it looks looking like they're going somewhere else, or they're going to land the other side of the field, get on that call. Don't let them land. Mm -hmm. When you hammer yeah, on that's that call, the worst thing yeah. that can happen. Yeah, if they can land, if they land on the other side of the field, you either got to get those birds up, or you don't let them land, or you got to go out there and get those birds out of the field. Yeah, because even if they're I mean, we've had it, if you have 50 birds land two fields away, and that's in between you and the roost, the birds from the roost are going to pick the live birds 100% oh, yeah. of the time. Yeah, exactly. Live birds are trafficking. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah we, we had about, I think it was Derek, but maybe 100 geese land on the other half of the field on mm -hmm. Saturday. Yeah. And we kept on having more and more come in, and I mean, they, they maybe circle us once, but then they'd see those live birds and they just... Yeah, no. every time, and every, every single every time. time, and in the yeah. best, like yeah, the best case scenario was yeah, we would have maybe had time in between flocks to yeah, get those up that way. Yeah, yeah. and we knew that, but it's like mm -hmm. those flocks called one after another came in. It's like yeah. we never got a chance. Yeah, yeah. I've gotten yeah. to the point where as soon as two or three or even four birds touch down somewhere in your field, like it doesn't matter how many flocks you burn to get them out, you get them out as soon as you can. Yeah, because you'd rather burn four flocks and That's get the true. fifth instead of watch all five go and land over there and then it's like well yeah. that was cool yeah. that's your evening right yeah there. exactly yeah. exactly exactly um back to hides though and what you look for like just brush your blinds in the best you can your shadow will kill you if there's no clouds that's one of the biggest things that people overlook um i personally will never set up in a hole either except for today because of the wind but like a lo low spots in fields and stuff like mm -hmm. that Birds just don't like it. Like, they'll work your spread just fine. They'll get probably close enough to pass you if that's okay. But, like, they'll glide right over your decoys and go to the high point 30 yards outside the decoys. Nine times out of ten. Uh, what about, just real quick, uh, layouts and A-frames? Are there different scenarios where you'll use those? Yeah. Yeah. What's your opinion on layouts well, versus A-frames? Um, definitely hunting out with both in the same weekend. I, I saw I saw the, the, the pros and cons of both. Um, uh, saying, like, with the A-frame this weekend, we kind of had, like, a like a different kind of um, situation with it, with thinking we had enough cover to our backs. We wouldn't need, like, the back of the A-frame. So, like, I mean, with how bad the weather was on Saturday, it was, like, kind of hard to tell on how exactly, like, the A-frame hunting was going to go, but... Honestly, like, I, I like the layout. Like, I, I liked it. Uh, I feel like it gives you a little bit more hope because you're not necessarily seeing the birds the whole time rather than, like, in an A-frame where we were this week and everybody was pretty much seeing the birds the whole time. And then you don't necessarily know right away if the birds are firing. So it gives you a little bit of uncertainty. And, um, and also, like, just... You have a lot more people with you in layouts and stuff like that. And, like, hunting with bigger groups is always nice. So. Whenever I've hunted 
hunted an A-frame, I found it like to be successful when the hide or the edge of the field, even if you're hiding an A-frame on the edge of the field, uh, when the when the grass is tall, mm -hmm. you know, A-frames a are like, four feet tall, mm -hmm. you know. And another really, really important part of an A-frame is if you don't cover that top, as soon as those birds go over, they can see right in there. Yeah. You know, if you guys are moving around, whatever. That's you know? that's a good point to make because I, I put the drone up in front, like right on top of those A-frames. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's that's, it's just a black shadow yeah. uh, casted in there. And yeah, you always got to yeah. make sure that you have some type of cover going over top yeah. of that. Yeah. And I feel like that could have been like a huge factor on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I would say at least 95% of the time out here we use layouts because of that reason. Like occasionally you'll get a fence line where there is like a like the, the vines will go up and through the barbed wire and there's tumbleweeds four feet high and you can get away with like a panel blind and it looks great. Um, but it's, again, it depends on where the geese are at. You know, if you can... <laughs> If you What's can, feel? if you can have, if you can have an A-frame, they're fun to hunt out of for sure. Yeah, I love hunting. They're very guys. social. You get to interact with people. So you get the hand, you get the hand donuts, the yeah. Luke, or fucking, oh, yeah. you know, You're looking hand. at everybody's faces when the birds are coming in. Just <laughs> yeah, right. Everybody's just kind of like, oh god, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. It's just exciting. It's a social environment. Mm -hmm. Layouts are kind of. You know, you, you're quiet, you're hunkered down, and I mean, you're always gonna be quiet and hunkered down, I guess, when birds are gonna be there, but um, it just kind of depends. So, I think, like you said, the biggest thing with an A-frame is the top. Like, I'm, even if you are able to fully, like, get brushed tall enough to fully connect the top at the angle of A-frames, then that frame is sticking up six and seven feet. Oh, yeah. Then you deal with people not being able to shoot through it, everyone's getting mad, and... Yeah. I don't know. The only time I hunt an A-frame is if I have an edge behind me as tall as the frame and if I'm hunting like a stiff wind so the birds are going to be low. Mm -hmm. If I'm going into the hunt being like they're not going to circle, like if they come in, they're coming straight in without a doubt, then it's fine. No, they, get, they take one look at the front. And like what, when you say like, when you say that's when there's a high wind, is that what, is that what you mean by that? When they're going to be low like Like, that? like a situation is today with the snow and the low clouds and the fog and the wind. Like, not where we hunted, but if we would have hunted that top fence line on the field, then they're coming straight at us from the roofs. So, like, they're not going to ever circle around behind us in that wind and in that snow. They're, they're looking for birds, and they're looking for food, as like, feed as fast as they can. Especially if it was, like, 15 degrees or 16 degrees when we were yeah. on the field. And you take all that stuff into account. Like, if we were going into that hunt and it was blue skies and... 40 degrees, I mean, we probably wouldn't have been going into that hunt. <laughs> I personally wouldn't have been going into that hunt. Yeah, that was tricky. But it was fun. Yeah, right, we had a good time. We didn't end up seeing birds for a while, you know, and and that's the thing, too, is, like, when morale's low, you find a way to lift morale up again, you know, we were out of the Couple blinds. Wrestling matches here Wrestling and there. matches. Some good, clean pranks and... I mean, take a football to the field, you know. <laughs> when there's snow on the ground, it's a little soft cushion for tackling. Yeah. Yeah. We just need some sticky snow for like some snowballs. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Today's snow was, it was just too cold, fluffy. And, yeah, yeah. Can't make a snowball. Um, it was hard when you hit the ground, though. I can personally attest that I got tripped <laughs> yeah. about three or four times. But well, I mean, I'd say six or seven, but it depends who you ask. On my scale. <laughs> on my scale. <laughs> so we got. So we got. Uh, scouting, we talked about yeah things we're looking for, uh, different types of field maybe setups, hide. Okay, so now decoys. 
how much time are you guys, or like how many options are there when it comes to decoys for like how you set them up, and even yeah, how do you, how do you approach just decoy setting up decoys? What do you what are you thinking about? I personally will take full bodies over silhouettes nine times out of ten. You know, it's days like today when there's a lot of snow. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with the full bodies was every, I mean, every five minutes, the snow would have just, the snow built right back up on the backs of the decoys, and that doesn't look good at all. Um, so we're, I mean, we'll go, out, we'll go out and brush the snow off the backs of the decoys, and by the time we get to the last decoy, the first one's covered up again. Yeah. So that's when silos are pretty nice because there's no snow that can fill up on the back and it still looks like they're spread. It depends, like, if you don't have the ability to hunt all full bodies, then using, like, full bodies around, like, this, the area where you want them to land and then running silhouettes out to just look like there's numbers, I found that to be kind of successful too. But I'm the off, I mean, I prefer full bodies just like Jake, but I never, ever hunt silhouettes and full bodies together. I don't know why, it's just like, it's one of those things that I lose confidence in. I, it's, I've had a couple bad hunts doing it, and I just refuse to do it now, but I think the biggest thing with a decoy spread is make your decoys look like the geese were in the field before, or in the day before. Like, it's really simple. Just go out and look. If you find the birds in the field, you know what they were doing. If they're going to be close together or far apart or family groups or whatnot just try and mimic that don't there's so much stuff about decoy spreads like set a j or set an l or set an x or set an o or donut or um like which is fine if you set like a super jagged j with no harsh lines in it and then put add some family groups or whatever like that's fine but you just see so many pictures of people hunting such a a perfect precisely yeah. set L spread and it's like birds don't look like that they don't think about that stuff they're not evenly spaced apart that's another thing is people will put um, like especially when I'm hunting clients and I'm trying to explain what to do with the decoy spread people will put decoys exactly the same distance apart from each other for all of them and that's take, not take two steps take two steps yes exactly deal. exactly and that does not like that doesn't look normal there will be a pair right next to each other and then a four pack spread out and just make it look natural just go look at birds in a field and make it look like that and like but then comes like the affordable affordability factor you know like as a freshman in college you know you might not have the the room for a bunch of full bodies but you you can fit 15 dozen silhouettes in the back of your truck I mean, even yeah. like silhouettes, silhouettes kill birds. It's not a fact of if they don't or not. We all know that. Yeah. It's just, they just, I think that full bodies shine in certain ways. But, like, I mean, we've killed birds over five dozen silhouettes countless times. It, yeah. it, it definitely works. Especially, like, I mean, I was in the dorms my freshman year, and I had um, at first decided not to bring my trailer, which I soon realized I wanted it. But I had 20 dozen silhouettes in the closet in my dorm. Like, it worked. <laughs> My roommate didn't love it, but he was forgiving. I think another thing is people put out too many full bodies sometimes. They worry about how many decoys are out there. You can get away with two dozen full bodies if that's all yeah. you got. What about like when it comes to like the timing of the season, from like early season to late season on the numbers that you're putting out? I like to put less towards the end. I think the less birds get pressured so much and people go bigger and keep wanting to... Show the birds more, and I, I think less is more in that. But quality over quantity. Right? Yeah, I think either, I, 
I think it depends on how big your feed is more than the time of year. Yeah. Like, I know everybody has their own style of goose hunting, and it's all very different. Mm-hmm. And I know people that in late January hunting honkers, they'll set out 15 dozen, 20 dozen full bodies. And then I also, like, hunt with people regularly regularly that set out 15 full bodies. Mm-hmm. And it all works. I think it's just a matter of what works for you and what you saw in the field the day before. Yeah. Like, on Saturday, I mean, we set up on... Not many birds. We set up on like 100 birds and we put out two dozen Dave Smith giant decoys and mm-hmm. it worked. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing yeah, you keep mentioning is like just referring back to the night before. I think that's the, I yeah. think that's the biggest thing because like even if it comes down to like the type of or the timing of the season too, it's like okay, early season they're in family groups, so yeah, yeah, the night before they're probably in little groups here and there. Okay, well maybe throughout the season they start getting tighter together. Yeah. Well, okay, you'll see that the night before, so you just replicate that the next day. Exactly. So I think some people just might overthink a lot of the the, the spread of how you're going to set it up. Yeah. Um, I think just focus on your hide three quarters of your morning setup and focus on your decoys a quarter of the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like as long as you make it look natural and get your decoys off the edge, don't set them close to the edge. It just won't work. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biggest thing. But like why I say the time of year kind of matters, but also doesn't is, I mean, here there's not many birds in early season, obviously. And later in the season we get, per- well, I mean, we obviously get a migration. We don't get super jam packed, but like, we've hunted early season fields here in Bozeman that have had four or five hundred honkers in them, and late season fields that have oh, had yeah. 60 honkers in them. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. Depends. Every year, every year the migration is a little bit different, too. You know, like... And that's one thing you don't see out here in Montana is, like, bands or anything like that. Like, so, I don't really know necessarily the tracking of, like, specifically that kind of migration mm-hmm. of those patterns of those bands, but in terms of birds... I know for a fact that like there's some birds in the area that I haven't seen before. Like you'll catch wind of somebody who might shoot a band somewhere on the area that it came from Spokane, which is directly west of us. Mm-hmm. So it's just it's you you never really know. You never you never really know, and so the migration's different every year. And um, like he was saying, late season sometimes you'll have sixty birds. Early season sometimes it'll be better. Jared, what are your thoughts on, on this? Have you set up like uh, any decoy spreads yourself um, without we, any input from anybody? No, actually, no. I've kind of just like followed along with the buddies I've hunted with, and I've got, I've got some good ideas in my head on how I would do it myself. And like, of co- of course, it would be according to what what the what the birds look like the night before, a few days before, and whatnot. But. No, like it, this weekend, I was just kind of listening to everybody and just kind of hearing their thoughts and what the best ideas were and um, just tried to think about, okay, well, if they're doing this, when this is happening, how can I do that later when I'm at home <clears throat> and we have these kind of weather and this amount of birds in the fields from what I'm used to and then just try to think about that and how I'm going to apply it this, season, this later season when I'm at home. Yeah, I think there's so many factors. Yeah, you got just taking consider into consideration when you approach a field and like looking at the weather for the next day or the yeah the, the morning, and you kind of just got to take it. Yeah, individualize each field and yeah, not really. Yeah, you, you're not going to take from like two days ago. You might hunt one field and that you're not going to take that same, I guess, spread and hide and apply it to the next field. You got to kind of take it. Yeah, uh, completely.
think completely different and kind of reassess everything that you're going to do to, to make the most of it. Another thing that like you hear a lot too is like, oh yeah, last year, last year this field was great. Last year doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. if that, it really does. The biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I hear a lot from, especially students, is like they come their freshman year and do pretty well, and then they just expect to shoot birds on the exact same fields, and it's like. I mean, this year, I don't think we've shot a field that we shot last year. Well, the field we hunted today, but we've been hunting totally different areas and totally different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. been a totally different year. And even the field we hunted today, last year was corn, and last year there was all kinds of birds in it. This year it was hay, and there's not as many birds in it, so you never really know. Yeah. Or it was wheat. I'm sorry, it was wheat. It was cut wheat, wasn't it? I think it was wheat. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we're putting like together a master class of field hunting here. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a little yeah. crash course. <laughs> yeah, I think we should talk about wind. You want to talk about wind next? We have to talk about oh, wind. Oh, I can give you a rundown about wind. So, it was it was pretty much one of the first two times field hunting, and we get there and we we have some wind this weekend, and then it felt like haver this weekend in Bozeman, <laughs> <laughs> like thirty five mile an hour winds with gusts up to who know what. And it was like we we accounted for it as much as possible. We we applied it to how we were setting up the decoys, how how the blind should look, how we can keep the cover on the blind on the A-frame and everything. You should mention keeping and to keeping the blind. Yeah, steady as keeping well. the <laughs> keeping the blind in the blind tied to the fence we were on and uh, just keeping it there. And it would I mean it was a huge factor on on the birds also. You know like. I don't think the birds got out of the roost till late that night, and we we saw a lot of birds way up in the air. But the only thing that really tr tried to come into our feed were swans, and that was that was about it. I mean, it it was it was a huge factor in that morning hunt, and I mean it it kind of helped us out in the evening that night, um, being able to see where. Um, how they're they're gonna come out and feed because they've been in their roost all day, um, and so coming out that night, uh, it it was better to get some geese circling our feed and stuff like that. So how did that wind affect the decoy spread? Um yeah, so like we really had to like position, posi specifically position the decoys like uh put put the feeders um I think it was. Put the feeders facing the wind, and then the uh, lookers like looking the other way. Um, I'm not. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like, like where decoys tipping over. Like, oh yeah. Oh like yeah. That. If you were sitting on the outside of the on the on the outside of the a frame, you were running to go get the decoys, tip back up every what it was like five ten minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, the other guy would be like, "Hey, can you go get tip up the decoys again?" <laughs> You're like. I'd be honest, I have no idea what I'd even do in that situation. If my decoys kept falling over. Silhouettes. Silhouettes. Silhouettes, let them bend all the way down and bend back. They don't, yeah. man. No, you stick the stake in and you push the decoy to the ground on the stake. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Silhouettes yeah. so yeah. have their yeah. time and place. They yeah. Do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a mix of Bigfoot's uh, full bodies and, and silhouettes. Um, but, yeah, it, it was like, it was crazy. Every five minutes we were running out there to get equals back up so so to continue on wind do you guys have anything else you guys want to mention about wind um that you guys are kind of looking at to determine hide or decoys or anything like that 
I mean, you, there's definitely ways that you can use wind to your advantage. Yeah. And I think maybe thinking about about which way the wind wants to like the wind is going. Typically, birds will want to land into the wind. You know, so yeah, I think that's a good. I think a good wrap up point on that. I think. Um, what about? Sorry, I'm gonna bring it up. Um, like direct setting setting up with the wind to have the birds coming straight in onto your hive versus like side shoots. What are your thoughts on on those on like what maybe scenarios where you might prefer a side shoot versus like a straight on shot of the birds? If that's your trying to set, how you want to try to set up. Uh, if it, the only time like. If you're hunting winds like we had this weekend that are 20, 30, 40, 40 mile an hour winds, the birds are going to work the decoys and they, they'll be about to touch down. And as soon as they lift their wings back up, they'll be gone in like two or three seconds with that kind of wind. So you have to think about that. And they don't like when I'll, when I set up or we set up for a side shoot, I think is only in a super, super heavy wind like that. And you kind of just land them past your blind and then shoot, and then they have to fly back across in front of everybody, and then everybody gets clean shots at them. Other than that, um, I personally don't like birds coming straight at my blind. Like, I prefer a wind that's a little bit off one direction, and I'll, I'll make one side of the decoys heavy to try and hold their attention and keep them away from you. You talk maybe like a 45-degree angle? Yeah, like wind? just anything not straight at. Like, I'm mm -hmm. happy with the wind that's... I mean, if you're set up straight this way, like the wind that's going like that or like that... And then they just work them past you a little bit, not straight at you. That's just me, though. I mean, a lot of people don't mind. I, I, a lot of people put the kill right in the middle. Yeah, I think everybody's got a different opinion on yeah. that. And like, whatever works for you, whatever you think works best for your style of hunting is, mm -hmm. is what works. So. Next thing, yeah, we have to talk about is calling. So what are some things that you guys are looking at uh, on how, how to approach a flock of geese? Um, how are you guys going to call them in? If you're going to call them. Or, like, use, use calling to your advantage. So I know that a moan can just be as can be just as deadly as any other call, right? If sometimes no calling is even the best option, mm -hmm. you know, if the birds want to be in that field and they're locked up and they're not vocalizing, then don't call. Um, but if, in, in my opinion, if they're if they're coming in, and a moan is kind of like a settling, like in, almost like a finisher, for like a better way of putting it, and. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like if they're if they're going away, if they're going to land on the other side of the field, um, I guess g going fast, some spit notes, um, fast clucking, things like that to get them off the ground. That's kind of the best best way to handle that situation. Um, but then in terms of like calling in in general, like if a, if a, if a if a flock is kind of far out coming in, I think Tyson would be able to explain that a little better to Luke or Jared. I don't know entirely sure. Um, I'm going to start off on that note with saying less is more with goose calling. I think 100%. And I'm like, I'm not a good goose caller. I'm, I'm well aware of that. So I don't use calling as much as a lot of people do. But I think the people that are loud on calls and call a lot, you have to be a good goose caller to do that. And it takes a lot of practice to get there. But like Jake said, just Get loud if you don't want them to, like if they're trying to land across the field, it doesn't even matter the noise you make, just get loud. Open up your hands, get loud, like scare them away for all you care. Just don't let them land because you don't want to have to go spook them off the field. And then right as they turn towards you and they lock their wings, 
I get quiet. I throw in a couple moans, but like you guys, I mean, yeah. obviously, well, Jake and Luke know super well. I don't call it all if geese are coming at me, really. Especially honkers. Lessers are a totally different story. Lessers just like loud noises. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, I guess you could bring in ducks with that, too. You know, like sometimes ducks will be flying overhead, and you got the comeback call, right? You, it's a, it's a fast repetition of quacks, and I've turned birds around like a U just from doing that alone. And then um, when they get a little bit closer, you could throw in a feed chuckle. And too many people do like the fastest ticket through the call, right? The feed, a feed chatter. They do like a refuge chatter. And that is not what a duck sounds like. A duck sounds like, if there's one duck, it's like ticket, 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 ticket. It's like one duck feeding. And most of the time, if you're unless you're hunting a like a mega mega feed or a lot of ducks, um, there there really is no use for that fast yeah. loud chatter. The tail whistle. Just use a little whistle. Or like a Drake Mallard whistle, yeah. Yeah. Drake Mallard whistle. Drake Mallard whistle. Deadly. I think it's absolutely one of deadly. deadly duck calls. Oh dude, deadly. Just a little <laughs> That's just like, like that. Yeah, just like that. You need a whistle. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then, uh, well, swans, people are just making noises in the blind. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, you know, just doing their thing. It's cool. It's cool to see, like, how different birds react to different calling. Like you were saying with lessers, I mean, it's, there's a reason to call it lesser lungs for a reason. You know, you're just constantly hammering on that call 24-7. Would you guys say across the board, just even, um, just, comes with experience, knowing when to call, how to call, things like that. Being able to just read the birds. As, I think that's just, so much a goose hunting. It just takes time. Yeah, including calling. Like, you just, you learn from your mistakes and you pick up things that you can't, that we can't sit here and explain, or, and nobody can. It's just, like, little things like where do you set up in a field? Like, mm -hmm. you can take four of the best goose hunters in the world, put them on the same field, and they're all going to choose a different spot in the field. It's just a fact. But all of them will do well. That would be a fun experiment. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's true. And uh, I think that's everything with goose hunting, is you just learn with experience. Don't get discouraged. We, we had, I mean, our first two years, we maybe shot ten ducks total. Like, it's part of it. Everyone's been there. And then we figured it out. Then we killed birds. Now we'll limit out two or three hunts in a row and then get, then get smoked for them. Yeah. Yeah. Have the trailer for sale and the decoys for sale. <laughs> and the, the good hunts. The dog is gone. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the good hunts pay off when you put in all kinds of work like yeah. that, too. 100%. It makes it all worth it. You know, yeah. like, and hard, hard work beats talent when talent fails to produce, you know. I think it's so. when talent fails to work hard. Hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. There you it's, go. It's okay. <laughs> same, same. I just said a little different. I put my own Jake Dabby <laughs> twist on it. <laughs> but like you said, you know, four of the best goose hunters in the world are going to choose something different. And, yeah. You know. yeah. I That's, think, what do you think? Definitely reading, like, the, reading the birds is, like, um, is how, like, we saw how to, like, which calls to use and, like, what, what types and stuff like that. Um, really, and it, especially to go off from you, is when they're trying to land in that field over or whatever, it's really getting loud. That I, That is definitely a huge factor when you want those birds to come back to you, just getting as loud as possible and don't let them land because we had birds land behind us 50 yards and 
as loud as possible, but sometimes they are just yeah. they just won't listen to you. But try your best. And like like we were hunting too, our hide our hide was good, but they wanted to be in that field. Yeah. So I I think they circled us like it was six times yeah, maybe yeah. maybe it was a lot seven <laughs> times, and I mean we could have had a pass shot, but I I wanted the birds kind of a little bit closer. You know I don't like taking unethical shots. We might have hit one, winged another, and I was like, it, it wasn't it wasn't worth it wasn't worth it. Um, but like he he was there. I don't you maybe not saw maybe not maybe didn't see the birds, but. I was calling them out like, okay, they're swinging back around behind, or they'll go away, and you—that's when you again get loud. If they're going away too, they'll come back, um, and then if they come back and they still don't like the hide, then you got to change the hide. Yeah. You got to do something different. Yeah, definitely. One thing I learned was when I when I could hear the birds from my layout, Jake was really quiet with the call, really conservative about it. But as soon as I, I couldn't hear them, it, it was Jake right in my other ear. Calling us, calling them, get them back, and it worked several times. They just kept on going around and around and around, but sometimes they just don't want to come. I mean, they, they looked at our yeah. stuff every they, time, they, too. they loved it for about the first five minutes. They were up in the air, and then until they saw a yeah. yellow blob and a brown, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in situations like that, though, it's a learning experience because, like, you got to change something. Yeah. So many guys just sit there and are like, oh, the next flock's going to do it. The yeah. next flock's going to yeah. do it. The next flock's going to do it. But you, I mean, every flock that doesn't work, you, every flock or two flocks or whatever, whether they flare or just don't even take a look, or you have to change something. Yeah. Just something. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we did. We, we drug our uh, layups yeah. all over to the, the edge of the field. And, I mean, it was pretty late in the day anyways, but, you know, we just had to change something up and changed our spread a little bit too and you know it's just all about <clears throat> adapting to the way the what they're seeing and what they want to do yeah. and like it, it would get to a point too where i was like okay they're gonna come right over top they are on a line 15 feet off the ground they would it looked like they were gonna come right over top of us and then they would see our hide and they wouldn't even fly over top they would go Another 30 feet behind and fly right behind us. And know? they probably did it from, they probably saw it from 100 yards away. 100%. Man, can you see things? Yeah, 100%. And like I was saying earlier, 10 birds, 10 birds in a flock, that's 20 sets of eyes looking right at you, like picking out every little detail. Place. One more thing I want to add to the goose calling having a flag can be really, yeah, really oh, yeah. effective. Oh, yeah. Flagging's more important than calling for me. Yeah. Hundred percent. I would say calling is probably one of the least important things about the hunt, for whatever it's worth. Like sometimes you don't even have to call. Unless sometimes you're incredibly nice. good at like calling. Like right. there are people that can work geese like like I could stand there and tell a person what to do. It's just <laughs> it just works. They but, speak the language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm not one of those people, so I I use a flag to my advantage and everything else to my advantage. I'm also not one of those people. I don't think. I mean, I don't. I maybe have met one person in my entire life that I could pinpoint and say that that's that's the guy. That's the guy that can do it. Hmm. So it's it's a lot of work. So I'd say calling isn't the most important thing. By any means. Since you brought it up, what about uh, flagging? How how do you approach your flagging? Anytime you see the birds yeah. question something and they're not going to catch you getting out of your blind to pull a flag out, pull the flag out and flag. Yeah. And the birds will tell you if they don't like the flag. I mean, they're gonna. 
turn away from it or come towards it, mm -hmm. one of the two, or just ignore it. But. And even when birds are far away, like if you have three flags, great. Have three guys it's start moving those things. See. Yeah. If they if yeah. they see that at 500 yards away, they're gonna. I mean, I've seen birds, huge flocks even turn towards us. Yeah. And sometimes even flagging can pull even a, a smaller flock off of a large flock and bring yeah. it right into mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. That's the thing too is a goose can see a flag from man, five, six, seven hundred yards probably, and you can't hear a goose call from further than maybe two hundred yards. Like if you're out in the field getting a cripple or something, and someone's calling in the blinds, you don't you don't hear them at all. It's a, it's crazy. And so like the same thing. Like if you're if someone's ripping on a, on a goose call, and those birds are going away, as soon as they start to turn, if you stick a flag out and start going like this, I mean they're gonna come back and take another look, mm -hmm. almost every time. Again, you just have to read the birds though. They're either gonna like the flag or not like it. But we've all had we've all had days where like. You flag them to the foot bags. I mean, yeah. literally, you yeah, flag yeah. and flag and flag and flag and flag and then pull your flag in like you're going to break it at the last second because you don't want to open your blind. That's another thing I want to touch on, too, is collapsing the flags and putting them in the blinds because a lot of people don't. Like, we just put them on the They just put them on the ground. Even if they're camo, it doesn't matter. They're, it will flare birds all the time. So if you try, I mean, obviously, flags break all the time. He's the king of breaking flags. <laughs> but... Um, if you can collapse them, do collapse them as fast as you can and get them in your blind um, without trying to without flying the birds, you know, at a safe distance, and that'll I feel like that'll make a lot more successful. So. Well, I think that was yeah, like I said earlier, just a master class of field hunting right there, where I think people can be able to listen to this a couple times and, and learn a thing or two, and um, may, may, they might have to take out a notebook as well and write a couple <laughs> notes down. <laughs> but. No, I appreciate you guys uh, sitting down and yeah, yeah, really breaking down the different steps of what uh, when it comes to field hunting and things that you guys are looking for uh, to make the most out of yeah the hunts that you guys are going on. Uh, before we go, what is one final piece of advice? Whether whether if it's concerning uh, field hunting or waterfowl hunting or just life advice, anything you have for advice, what would you tell someone that's listening to this podcast? My biggest piece is, I was talking about this earlier, um, don't ever quit learning, mainly in goose hunting, because that's the important thing, but <laughs> in life too. Um, people get to a point where like you think you're the best at something, or you think you're getting so good at it, so you kind of let your guard down, and you, you won't listen to opinions and things like that, but there's always people out there that can offer you a piece of advice, or offer you something that can give you a head up in hunting, um, or just some sort of lead. Like there's always so many little, there's hundreds of little things that we plan out before a hunt and you just have to learn those from other people and from experience, yeah. but just don't ever stop learning. Yeah. I think the hide's important. I, if you can't hide, you can't kill them. Mm -hmm. I think that's plain and simple. Yeah. You got to use the hide to your advantage, however you can figure it out with the wind the best way possible. Get hidden. Yeah, I think one of the best things even outside of the blind is like when you're connecting with others, like always like keep your open mind and be able to learn from other people because you don't know how many times they've been out there and they've made the same mistake as you and that maybe they have a different solution than to what you did. And also like just make good relationships with people because like that first impression with 
everybody you're going to meet out in the field is one of the biggest things on how they're going to remember you. So just always be good to other hunters and just make a good mark for yourself. And then I, I've kind of got two things, one kind of life, one kind of hunting. Um, I would say in terms of the hunting thing, the guys that you share a blind with, I mean, those are the guys that you're going to be friends with the rest of your life. You know, I mean, it's... Acquaintances, Jake. All right, all right, fine. <laughs> Don't ask me for a favor, then. <laughs> um, it's, it's not worth any sort of, uh, any sort of, like, feud or any sort of, um, I don't know, angst towards anybody. It's, it's, everybody, you guys are all there for the same place. And then when that comes, when that comes down to the hunting aspect, it's, it's not about you. It's never, it's never self-centered. I mean, if you if you try to make it about yourself, then it it'll either not be successful, or you're gonna end up not having buddies to hunt with, even you know. And I, I think all of us can attest to the fact that, like, if someone tries to make it about themselves, we don't want to be around that person. Spending, so it's a, it's a team effort. It's a team effort. Spending hours on end watching. Yeah. Gotta have good friends out there. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. You're not, yeah, you're not going to want to get sick of the guys you're with. <laughs> yeah. On the slow days, you yeah. want to be around the guys yeah. so you can still have a good time. Yeah, with. exactly. One more thing, too, um, that I was always taught that's probably the biggest thing in goose hunting and the waterfowl industry and life in general is the two R's of goose hunting is what we call them and what I've referred to them as, and that's relationships and reputation. If you can't build a good relationship and if you can't keep up a good reputation in goose hunting, you will not be successful. It's plain and simple. Like with everyone from landowners to your competition or the buddies who hunt around you or the people in your area to conservationists to, like it just boils down to everything. It's it, about it, your it, reputation everything and your relationships. Yeah, it is. Exactly. In exactly. everything in life. For exactly. the rest of your life. Yeah, it's, and it, especially to add on to like mine and yours is like, when you get permission from a landowner, like that is like that is a huge deal, and like I always, whenever I'm out, I try to wherever I was make wherever I was look better than how I found it. Even you know, just like if you're out there ripping in fields and stuff like that, even if he tells you to, I'm usually pretty conservative about that and try not to because uh, he's he's letting me use his land that he works hard on, it or or she, you know, and. You know, I'm I'm gonna treat it right, and that's how you build a good relationship. And and then you know they they might either like offer a lease or just let you come out for the rest of your life. You know, it comes down to the third R. Yeah, respect. Yes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Respect. So many R's. There's a lot of R's, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Goose is all about R's. <laughs> yeah. Recoil spreads, rolling. There we go. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, before we close this out, where can everyone kind of follow you guys to kind of keep in touch if they like have like follow up question or anything like that? How can they get a hold of you guys? Sorry, out time. Um. So my Instagram is Beaumont underscore hunts. My name was Tyson Beaumont, like I said. And if you ever want to come hunt with specifically me and Luke in Central Washington, <coughs> hit up Wingtip Outfitters, and we'd love to have you guys out. Um. Yeah, DM me with any questions, or I love answering questions and just talking about hunting, as you can tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, Instagram as well. Uh, I think it's Luke underscore Jonesy 900, but I could be wrong. <laughs> Can't really remember. Yeah. Yeah. Come hunt in Washington. It's a good time. And if you are looking to hunt in Washington, um, Wingtip 
uh, Outfitters also has an Instagram page that you can check out as well. Yeah. Um, what about yourself? Um, yeah, Instagram, it's jared.rossgard. Uh, I'm still, I'm learning, and if you want to learn with me, just shoot me a text. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I love and, it. But if, if you want to come hunt upland with me, that is, that is my focus. I, I'm, I consider myself a pretty good upland hunter, so if you ever have any questions about upland, and, uh, or if you'd like to come out on a hunt with me, yeah, just shoot me a DM and get something figured out. Hopefully in four years you'll be sitting in our shoes. I know. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll have someone like myself telling them what to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, so like I said, my name was Jake Davitt, and um, my Instagram is uh, J underscore Davitt. Um, I'm also the president of the Montana State University Ducks Unlimited chapter, so you can DM the Montana State uh, University Ducks Unlimited Instagram page, and I will be able to see what you say there we can chat there um other than that um if you want to get in touch with me on a more personal level i if you message me on instagram i could send you my phone number we could talk over the phone um talk about any questions you, you guys would have so awesome uh, we went a little bit longer than our typical podcast but i think there's a lot of information there that i think people will appreciate you guys sharing and hopefully uh, yeah. can't thank you guys enough for sitting down here yeah. for an hour and a half here you're busy during the class week or during the ah, during the week nah. too. It's yeah, a thing. A whole lot of homework. But I guess you guys don't have classes tomorrow, do you? Nope, no nope. class so tomorrow. You, you know, well, thanks for having us. It was yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you a lot. I'm having a great time, and we're not we're not done. I'm not done here we're yet. Not done yet. So, so we got yep. a couple days here still. Um, but no, appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. Stay tuned for the next podcast episode. Uh, we got November is super busy, uh, just like last year. Uh, Montana this week. I'm literally in a couple days. We'll be traveling to Oklahoma for their duck opener. We'll be visiting Oklahoma State uh, a couple week after that. I'll be in North Dakota, so we got a lot of a lot of content coming at you um, and a lot of stories and a lot of information as well. So to better your hunts and have hopefully you can uh, have a successful season this year. But other than that, thank you for tuning in and uh, see you guys in the next one. Go cats! <laughs>